Hello everyone and welcome to the Double View Wrestling Podcast where we rewatch AEW from the start. You join us a couple of months into AEW's TV run, two weeks after Full Gear 2019. I am the retired UK Brit wrestler, formerly known as Triggerman, now known as Sid. With me as always is superstar Pete Andrews. Good evening, or good morning, or good afternoon, or whenever you're listening. Hello. All are valid. Yes. Join us today as we look at the slightly below average one, Dynamite Week 8. <laughs> Before we get into that, Pete, what is your favourite, what is your favourite wrestler's shit headgear? It could also be what is your favourite shit wrestler's headgear. Good headgear. Oh, shit headgear. So there's some obvious ones. Kurt Angle and his wig. Rick Steiner used uh, headgear, but I, I like his, so it's not really... Shit. Um, what about Mantor's big cow head that he wore when coming to the ring? We'll go with that. I mean, that is a fine tradition in wrestling, isn't it? Wearing a bit of a dead animal on your head. Obviously, mm. Sammy wears his panda. Um, well, yeah. twice he seemed to wear it. And then someone said, I think he must have seen what he looked like on TV. It was like, oh, oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I think just because you like pandas doesn't mean you should use them in your gear no probably probably not uh, as tempting as it is to say jake hagar just because of uh his current run with good head mm. gear yeah. i'm i'm gonna go a bit vintage and i'm gonna go with uh steve blackman as head cheese yes bit of cheese on his head with with the old wedge of cheese it wasn't the small bit of cheese on his head either no. it was um yeah, big bit of cheese that it was it was good and of course that was an option available in no mercy on the N64, you could make your wrestler yes. wear a bit of cheese on the head when they came out. The great British cheese off, <laughs> they'd call it. it. There, oh, well, man. you and eight million others probably. Mm, true. So, AEW Dynamite episode eight or week eight, depending on how you like to count these things. Where are we? When are we? Who's talking at us? It's the 20th of November 2019. We are in Indiana, Indianapolis, in the US of A, at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum. It's an attendance of 4,227. I believe that one a bit more compared to last week's flat 4,000. Um, commentary team, as always, is Excalibur, Jim Ross, and Tony Skiavone. You can't go wrong with free play-by-play and no colour. <laughs> you can't, but that will get sorted <laughs> soon, I promise. We just have Excalibur and Taz, and that's it for every... Doing it. Yeah, that that could be the sound of uh, AEW, and I'd be quite happy with that. But I'd want Taz to be a bit more of a shit. He's a bit too happy. Yeah, yeah, he's mellowed a bit um, over time, hasn't he? Um, yeah, and I think, you know, Tony Schiavone, as you say, he's a bit... Uh, just pipes in here and there with a, a yes or a no. Wow. A, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So maybe use him backstage. It's like you've got two wrestling commentators and then you've got one wrestling commentator from a video game. <laughs> yeah. But I think what they can do in order to make Taz a bit more like his old self is um, give him a really crap chair to sit on. Th- that would do it. Or have someone come out wearing orange and black. He hates that when other people wear orange. That will set him off. Brilliant. Gets very angry about that. In case he wants to come out of retirement again. You never know. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, this is true. This is true. So, it's weekly television. Mm-hmm. They can't all be bangers. No. That's just the nature of television. 
But they do open with a banger here, Pete. We have one-on-one competition. It's a single men's match. Who have we got? It's Ray Phoenix against Nick Jackson. Um, This is Nick Jackson's first singles match in about three or four years, I think the commentators make mention of. Obviously, Phoenix is predominantly a tag wrestler for AW, but he's had his fair share of singles matches. But yeah, the Jacksons, the Young Bucks, very, very rarely uh, out of tag action. We mentioned um, a few weeks ago that when they do wrestle solo, it's generally Nick that does the solo wrestling. But yeah, so three or four years, he hadn't had a singles match, but he's opening Dynamite with one. Good on him. Well done. Um, really strong start to this match. Uh, I like the fact that for the first like four or five minutes or so, there was no real offence landed. They both mm. were kind of they had each other well scouted, and it was it was ducking, it was diving, it was running out, running back in, and they didn't land a single blow. But yeah, for the start, and that's that's great. It's okay. Yeah, it's not lockups. It's not traditional. You know, wrist locks and arm holds and. What, what people would term rest holds now. It is high-octane stuff. It's just not connecting. And I thought that was a really good way to wake the crowd up. Yeah, I mean, these two, you're not really going to expect sort of catch-as-catch-can style technical wrestling. Um, that's not what you, you would pay to see Phoenix versus Nick Jackson. If you've got that rest holds and things, you'd be like, well, that's not what I want. Um, these are two of the most athletic people in the company at this point and still today, really. Um, when these two get going, they're pretty untouchable. What I liked about this is obviously because you haven't got Matt Jackson and Penta there, mm-hmm. they did have to let stuff breathe every now and then while they yes. caught their breath. But they yeah. baked it into the story as well, where they'd at different times in the match they'd both look at their their respective tag corners. Mm-hmm. It's not they didn't reach out, they didn't go that far. That like they actually went there to tag, and there's no one there. But they they did make it part of the story that they were looking for a tag out and couldn't. Yeah, I mean, you had like Nick going to the outside on a couple of occasions, just like where he would normally tag out. He went to the outside just to take a little breather and get his his bits back in back in play. So yeah, it was it was good, good old match. This I liked it. The um the sequence where they're both jumping onto the ropes, like mm. and they're they're jumping onto the second ropes and then they turn it into a big hurricane runner spot. That was very nice. Um, like yeah. incredible levels of athleticism from both guys and a huge amount of trust that they have with each other to do that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, those rope moves you you see it a lot now. People jumping up on ropes and springboarding off and balancing on ropes. People underestimate how hard that is because I remember towards the end of my in ring career, I was trying that i was trying to do the springboard where you go from the outside on the ropes and do a clothesline in and i just i couldn't get it like once or twice i got it but it was it was complete fluke i was generally slipping off and that that is so hard it's and to see guys just do it every match do it so effortlessly it's like yeah i think because you do see it quite a lot these days you underestimate how difficult that is and Phoenix, how he walks the ropes, bounces from one to the other. It's just incredible stuff. Yeah, he can even stumble on ropes and recover yeah, without yeah. falling off. And it, <laughs> yeah. just, it, it looks as easy as me crossing the road. It's mm-hmm. kind of insane. Uh, another lovely looking move that I liked in the match was the um, stalling German suplex onto the apron. Um, yeah. I know we often call out the apron moves, and I'm always one to point out a good German, but that was particularly... Uh, uh, and one of two very good stalling Germans on the show. Uh, the other one I wanted to point out was there's a rare occasion where Nick Jackson slaps on the sharpshooter, um, and it isn't just so someone can super hit him in the face from the opposing team. Um, <laughs> yeah. That really looked like it was hurting Nick Jackson. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, he's got that bad back. That's Matt with a bad back. 
Oh, was it Matt with a bad back? I thought they both had bad backs. No, that's a, that's a Matt thing, his bad back. That's from his New Japan oh, well. days where he'd sell it all the time. Well, he did look bloody uncomfortable. I'll say that to you. If you watch yeah. Nick Jackson's face in that, it does look like... I mean, holding a sharpshoot is not the easiest thing in the yeah. world. Um, like, just, just imagine squ- popping a squat with half a person's body weight held between your arms and holding yeah. that for 30 seconds to a minute. Not the nicest thing in the world, and he really did look to be struggling with that. Yeah, they make mention that Nick had a bad shin uh, that he got at the pay-per-view where he went for a kick and ended up booting the um, the post. So they, they sort of made mention of that a few times during the match. His shin was playing up. I mean, that was very much his own fault. We did discuss that mm-hmm. at the time. He did just <laughs> yeah. properly kick it. Yeah. Phoenix wins the match with the what they call the Mexican Muscle Buster. Is that what yeah. they now call the Black Fire Driver? Yeah, I do believe so. I think you're right on that. They kind of say it's a, a Mexican Muscle Buster into a sort of modified Michinoku Driver. Mm, mm. Very nice too. Yeah, um, love this match. Really good fun. Really great start to the show. Crowd were into it. Um, I'd probably rather watch this than a Bucks versus Lucha Bros match. So more of this. I think it's it's a nice a nice palette cleanse. We've seen so much um, sort of Lucha Bros versus um, the Bucks early in AW, and we're seeing it a lot at the minute as well. So to see this kind of different version of that, uh, it's uh, it it eases it a bit because we've seen it so much in recent months. But yeah, so it's a different way of watching it. Totally, totally. So the second match on the card is another singles match. It is a women's match. No belts on the line. Who's in this one? We have got the number two and number three ranked women. It is Hikaru Shida versus Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Um, you'd be, you might have to point out, both these ladies going into this match are face. Uh, but when you watch a match, you wouldn't know that. They're both <laughs> quite heel <laughs> against each other in this one. That's just become a bit of a trend recently, isn't it? It's just like mm. you don't want to lose face by backing down. So you just... Not heal it up in the ring, but you just you're not you're not giving the other person any quarters. You're going for it. There is a bit of a thing in AEW where every match kind of looks like a WrestleMania main event in terms of what people pick out of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they they struck a good balance in this one. Even if, like you say, it probably would have been helped structurally if there had been a clear villain in this match. I think so. Yeah, but that is that is sort of an AEW eccentricity with the ranking system, isn't it? You're going to get yep. a kind of ranking playoff where where you're going to have two good guys or two bad guys facing each other. Oh yeah, it's going to happen. Um, it's, it's just odd, like like being a bit aggressive and whatnot in the match is fine, but then you've got like later on in the the match, Sheeda's like giving her an eye poke and stuff like that. It's like, well, that's that's not on. You're supposed to be, be good guys, and you know you can be sportsmen and still lay it in a bit. But no, eye pokes and things you don't really expect in it. But that's what we got. Yeah, they sort of played the eye poke as a bit of a joke kind of offense. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. the fact that Britt Baker was hard way uh, busted open with mm, her nose yeah, again, yeah. yes, it, it didn't come across as that kind of friendly face, free stooges kind of move. Um, I think the blood probably didn't help what we're discussing there as well with with yeah. with with uh, Hikaru Shida looking a bit more aggressive than perhaps mm-hmm. he meant to. But two True. of the best here, of course, two future women's champions. Yes, but the crowd were flat. Yeah, very much so. It's a shame because, like you say, these are two of the the bigger 
women's stars they had at this point and still really do to this day. I mean, Dr. Rick Baker still hasn't quite found herself. She's getting there. Uh, it takes her being injured and coming back to really find that sort of heel persona she's got now. But yeah, in theory, this this is a really big match. You could have you could have this on a pay-per-view at the time or now and it wouldn't seem out of place. You'd go, oh, that's a, that's a good one. But yeah, the crowd just, yeah, they, they weren't into it. I mean, that first match was very high octane, but you know, you shouldn't get that exhausted 10 minutes into a dynamite that you're, you're knackered for the second match. Maybe maybe it was a long walk from the car park and the crowd's all knackered. True, yeah. Sheila does a good job trying to get the crowd back into it throughout this match. She's very conscientious of the fact that they're not really giving her too much. Yeah. Uh, there was an excellent reversal at one point from... Um, it really looked like uh, Hikaru Shida was going to go for the pin after run, a running kick to the face. And there was that beautiful reversal from Britt straight into the lockjaw, well, lockjaw yes. attempt... Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, in any other match, that could have been the finish, but that was just a kind of, I was a hope spot building towards mm. the finish. Yeah. Of course, we have to mention the Falcon Arrow kick out, just because... That's yeah, weird, isn't it? I just can't, I'm not sure yeah. what's happening there. I love the fact as well, like, you know, eight weeks into TV, Chuck Taylor hasn't had all that many matches across the eight no, weeks. No, no. And every time someone does a Falcon Arrow, Excalibur kind of half calls it, <laughs> yeah. but doesn't explain the joke. It's just, yeah, if you know, you know. If you're new, tough shit. <laughs> That's it. Karu Shida wins with the second running knee to a broken, bleeding face. Mm. <laughs> Probably would have adjusted the finish if my opponent had a broken nose, just in case there was loose cartilage and you hit them wrong. Yeah. Doesn't matter. But yeah, nice finish there, kind of. Didn't quite expect that. I think watching it today, you would expect Brit to win that. But in 2019, mm. you know, it could have gone either way. And it did. Um, a nice win for Hikaru Shida. Indeed. Yeah, good good match. Enjoyed it. Um, another almost 10-minute match. So, yeah, first one was 11.55. This was 9.53. So, two decent length matches to open up your dynamite. So, we know that's going to get a bit. But before we get to that... We have the Dark Order promo. Yes, yes. Now I'm thinking, I'm thinking, right, we've had, we've had a couple of months of build-up now. We've got our first pay-per-view behind us. Tournament's done. Time to build the Dark Order. And they've got a whole promo here. And it looks high quality. They've obviously spent a bit of money. Like someone probably wrote it. And yeah. like there's location filming and blue screen filming. And like this is really going to sell. The Dark Order to me mm. wasn't wasn't a very good package, was it? Not really. I mean, at first you're like, I don't know what this is. This is is this just a weird commercial for a holiday or something? Because it's yeah, it doesn't really give much away. And then sort of midway through, you get these sort of funny little blurry effects, and you see Evil Uno appear on screen very briefly a couple of times. And yeah, it's it's kind of it. It doesn't it doesn't really sell what the faction is. Yes, they're a bit culty, we know that, but it doesn't say like why what what they're trying to get out of being wrestlers and having a cult and yeah, it was it was very I see what they were sort of trying but it didn't really work. Um yeah, go to the website. I don't know if that's still going that join the dark order website. I'm assuming it is cuz it's still on their Titantron video. But um, yeah, a bit of much of all, much of nothing really. This yeah, it was kind of like a Jim Jones holiday vacation video. My favourite part was when they were like, "Call the number below" or hashtag us on social media, and then yeah. they didn't put a phone number below. Just to <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that was good. So as naff as that promo was, just for a second, 
uh, right at the beginning, I thought the fat guy who got his glasses knocked off and stood on. Oh, yeah. Um, I wondered if that was going to be like Evil Uno's origin story. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. that's all that happened to him. Like, his <laughs> middle class suburbia, good upbringing, good education, everything in the world going for him. But once in a tube station, some nasties knocked his glasses off yeah. and he just went, well, fuck it, I'm done. Yeah, I'm wearing a mask and doing swanton bombs now. Keep your society. Um, <laughs> after the package was done, I thought Excalibur did probably a better job summarising the video in 10 seconds than the whole promo did when he's like, oh yeah, Dark Order, expanding their ranks and reaching out to people. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what the video was trying to say and didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. if you need someone to explain it straight away what it was, you've probably done a bad job. So the next match on the show is the Dynamite Dozen at Oriel. Obviously, the winner of this one gets that Coveted dynamite ring. Well, they get the chance to wrestle for the ring, don't they? Because the two last two people go on to wrestle one on one for the ring. Quite right, quite right. And of course, if you've seen any AEW in the last three years whatsoever, <laughs> you'll have a pretty good idea of who's won that dynamite ring uh, yes. three times the dynamite diamond ring. Um, who's in this one, Pete? So we have got Adam Page, uh, MJF, Billy Gunn, who probably gets the biggest pop out of everyone involved in it. Good to see <laughs> Billy Gunn, like even in the early days of AW, Overlight Rover. Uh, you got Chuck Taylor, Jimmy Havoc, Joey Janela, Jungle Boy, Kip Sabian, Marco Stunt, Orange Cassidy, Pentagon Jr., and Sonny Kiss. Lovely stuff. Well done. Yeah, um, Billy Gunn, he really does get quite the pop, probably the biggest pop mm. of the night, and he looks. So happy to be there. Yeah, that's that's what I like about Billy Gunn. You see a few of these sort of older veterans still wrestling, and you can tell that they they hate the fact they're doing it. They they sort of think in their head, I should have made my money and been a big name years ago. I shouldn't still be having to learn myself to wrestle. Billy Gunn's just yeah, completely opposite. Like he's made his money, he's had hell of a run. Um, like been in some of the biggest groups and angles in in wrestling history, and he's just yeah, he's just having a good time, still being around it and giving back, and yeah, good to see your Billy Gunn. And he's massive as well. He's one of those guys you forget how big he is, but when you see him in this match, he's just the biggest by far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a bit where he sizes up Orange Cassidy, and it's not yeah. even terrible, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing I really liked about this is obviously Adam Page got the music because he's sort of the big star mm-hmm. of this yeah. match so far. Um, everyone else filtered out to the dynamite music. It must have been. It must have been really tempting for them to have MJF come out with some music, but mm. that would sort of overplay the hand. And although he came out last and got quite a good reaction, yeah, it, it didn't. He didn't have the music mm-hmm. before the match gets going. We uh, see Penta. Uh, sorry, Phoenix come down yes. to ringside in support of Penta. He's just wearing a hoodie and his mask because obviously he's had a match and he doesn't want to get the chillies, does he? Yeah, that's right. But it's actually Chris Daniels dressed as him. Yeah. He's he's making the most of this. They shouldn't have zoomed in because as soon as they zoomed in, like, well, that's Chris for Daniels. Clearly, they should have just kept it at that sort of held back angle. And then it would have been a bit more, oh, that that's I didn't see that coming. But yeah, as soon as they zoom in, you're like, well, that's definitely not Phoenix. It's clearly... Chris Daniels under there. Yeah, it wasn't as obvious to me as the double penters at the pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah. But I like that it was no business, like no mucking about. Like the yeah, second yeah. the match starts, he just whoops Penta out and straight away we're down to 11 
men in this match. Yeah. Let's do a quick run through of notable moments in it. MJF eliminates Sonny Kiss, gets a bit cheap heat for that. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, a little arse off bit, wasn't there, between Billy Gunn and Sonny Kiss. Um, I like Excalibur's call. Like, oh, yeah, no, Billy Gunn's really going to enjoy this because obviously being the arse man. I mean, it was never really established if he loved all asses or was just particularly fond of his own. I kind mm. of always saw it that way that it was just. I'm in love with my own arts. Yeah, but I think over the years he's gone to appreciate other people's as well. Um, oh, yeah. Except Rikishi's. Yeah, no one enjoys that one. Except Mr. Perfect, who famously covered his face with the towel <laughs> as Rikishi <laughs> yeah. went for it. And then when Rikishi walked away, it looked like he had a bit of toilet roll hanging out of his ass. That was <laughs> a particularly favourite spot. Don't know why that's popped in my head after all these years, but there <laughs> what, you go. What a memory, what a thing to hold on to. I like it. Yeah. It, well, it's perfect, isn't it? You always remember oh, perfect. Yeah. So after the Sunny Kiss elimination, everyone piles onto Billy, realizing he's the biggest dude in the match, mm-hmm. um, which probably saved MJF skin because Billy Gunn's going right for him at that point. Yeah. A few more people get eliminated. Let's let's see who goes gets out. Marco gets thrown out. Jimmy Hammock gets disqualified because he tries to staple everyone in the match. Yeah, he's running around with that staple. Going, you, don't, you don't see disqualifications from Battle Royals. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Uh, it is odd, but, but if someone comes over with a staple gun, you probably should go yeah, yeah, get out. Get rid of him. Yeah, come triple on. Triple threat, it would have been fine, but four mm, triple threats at the same time, no way. <laughs> yeah. uh, how much do you think Jimmy Hammett got paid for that? Probably more than he deserved. Um, yeah. yeah. Probably quite a lot to show up. Staple some people and then go back to the shower room. Uh, throughout the match, it's always quite funny to see Orange Cassidy. He's just hanging out in the corner, not hiding. That would no, kind of require a effort. Yeah, he's on defensive. He's got him covered and telling him when to scoot from one side of the ring to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The bit where he's scooting along on his butt and pulling the ropes to get from <laughs> one corner to the other. Particularly funny. I did like that. Yeah. Enjoyed that. Joey Janella, your favourite. He's up at the top rope. He's about mm. to do something all Janellery on someone when uh, he gets the waffle piss from Sean Spears. Yeah, that's the official name for it. The chair to the side of the head is called the waffle piss. I like yep. that. That's good. That's Janella out. Yeah, he's gone. MGF throughout the match is obviously getting probably the most heat from the crowd, which is what you want. Mm-hmm. He knows how to work the people. Yes. Finally, Orange Cassidy gets involved. He does, and he goes for the biggest man in the match, doesn't he? Yeah, another. There's there a couple of these moments during the match where Billy Gunn just like everyone's down and Billy's the one up, and he gets his little shine on him to be like the guy that interacts with one of the newer chaps. And yeah, uh, he he gets attacked brutally by Orange Cassidy. It's good because it's making everything that we've seen for the last couple of months new again. Because we're mm. seeing it through the filter of Billy Gunn, who's obviously from a different generation. And yeah. when Orange Cassidy squares up to him, Billy Gunn's like, yeah, go on then. And then he just starts doing the little kicks with his hands in his pockets. And Billy Gunn's like, you know, let's pretend he hasn't ever bothered watching AEW before he's <laughs> yeah. But this is completely new to him. He's got no idea what's going on. Um, and it yeah. does help sell it again as being quite a curious thing that we perhaps shouldn't take for granted. Yeah. And MJF pretty much instantly eliminates uh, OC. And I like that Billy Gunn again is like annoyed because he's like, oh, no, I was doing a fun bit there. I've, I've got it. I was enjoying myself. You've wrecked it. Like like the Sonny Kiss bit earlier. Like, stop ruining my fun, MJF. And he even gets in the fame after as well, which is a great yes, way of reestablishing yeah. his, his move to the crowd. Not that the crowd needed to be reminded what Billy Gunn's finisher is, but mm-hmm. fame after on MJF, biggest pop of the night, probably for the whole show. Yeah, probably. And 
MJF off the back of that is nearly eliminated. He does the old Shawn Michaels, the rock yeah, hanging does. off the ropes, dangling. Both yep. feet have to touch the floor and they don't. Wardlow comes out, gives him the save assist, mm-hmm. and then MJF sort of hides. And we're we're meant to forget about MJF, but we don't forget about MJF because in 2022 we know who he is. Yeah, exactly. And we know you keep an eye on MJF. Yeah, and there wasn't really a, a long time of the match left either to kind of forget either. Um, it's, it, this was really towards the end of it that he was doing that. It's like, well, if you want us to forget he's there, maybe have other stuff going on a bit longer. Yeah. And the commentators really tried to make it like the way they were pretending they'd forgotten about MJF mm. was a bit transparent, maybe. But, you know, we'll let them off. They're trying to cram a lot into. There's a lot There's a lot of uh, stories to cover and mouths to feed when you're doing a 12 man battle royale. And they, they mostly do a good job. Yeah. Page eliminates Billy Gunn. Mm-hmm. And I think it, when they're set, they're booking that. They think, well, this is all really cement page as the guy because he gets out the biggest dude in the match. Yeah. Sort of backfires a bit. He just gets a lot of booze from the crowd. Yeah, he does. Sort of wanted Billy Gunn to win. Yeah, it was, it was a very pro-Billy Gunn crowd. Uh, yeah, and I think, you know, at this point, or even now, really, the Dynamite Diamond Ring's not, like, a big deal, is it? It's a bit of a, a fun gimmick for someone to have. It's not like Billy Gunn's winning the World Championship in 2019, but maybe given this guy that is well-respected, still well-loved, still can go and look great, a little like novelty award like the Diamond Ring, you know, that wouldn't hurt anything. So, I, yeah, I, I kind of get why uh, they were a bit myth that Billy Gunn got uh, eliminated. I think, I think they want the Diamond Ring to be a bit like their King of the Ring. Yeah, like yeah. you haven't got a scepter and a crown, but this is the thing that shows that we think you're the guy who can go from up and mid card to main mm, event true. in the next few years. I mean, it's certainly paid off for NJF, hasn't it? Well, yeah. Commentators trip over themselves here to talk about the final four because we're supposed to forget about NJF. You see, so the final yeah, five yeah, are yeah. there, and then in pretty rapid succession, Chuck Taylor's out. Um, Sabian gets hurricanered out by Jungle Boy. That was a very nice spot. Yeah. So it looks like it's going to be a face-off between Jungle Boy and Paige. They're going to be having the big match next week. But no, no, MJF is still in this. Runs in, eliminates Jungle Boy, and that's our match for next week. Yes. I like that Paige wasn't backing down either. No, he, no. he would have gone if we were just going to have this match now. Paige would have been alright at that, and that's a good way of establishing his character. Yeah, definitely worth noting as well. They make mention of it really briefly during the the Battle Royal that that Adam Page has left the Elite at this point. They say on being the Elite, Adam Page sort of declared that he'd he'd left the Elite, so he's going alone now, um, doing his own thing. It's sort of a shame they didn't show a clip of that because, like, you you've got it. Yeah, it it would be good for the for the YouTube show to have a, a clip put on. Hmm the TV product, and it would help really cement the story, because, like, it didn't really mean much. As someone who doesn't watch BTE every week Mm -hmm. and didn't necessarily know them from the indies before, it didn't mean that much to me when they're like, oh, he's left the elite now. It's like, well, you know, has he just cancelled his membership to the country club? I don't know what that means. that's it. And it's not like the elite had been a big faction in AEW. Like, yes, you see the Bucks and Kenny team in, things like that, but Cody and Paige were still members of the Elite at this point, but they've never really been all on screen together as a as a unit. Um, so yeah, if you didn't know, you, you had no reason to go, oh, he's left the Elite, that's big, because he hasn't really been associated with them. And what's kind of weird is, we'll see going forward, he, he is still linked to them and teaming with them a bit going forward. 
Um, and it's not till sort of later down the line that he is definitely not a part of that group anymore. So it's it was a weird way of doing it. And it also isn't really true. <laughs> so, yeah, but we'll we'll see that develop in the, the coming weeks and months. Interesting. Interesting. Right. So let's go to segment four. Nice segment, as JR would yeah. say. It is Jericho and Hagar dicking about backstage, basically just covering an advert break. Yes. Um, and I quite like this. Um, Hagar, obviously, with a hard hat. Mm-hmm. Not his favourite hat. No, but it's it's nice to see those early signs of his his love of hats. Yeah, headwear in general. Maybe if he'd found that a bit sooner, he wouldn't have been so boring for so long. But now, he's all right. I like, I, I don't mind seeing Hager on screen a bit now. Whereas before, I was like, I don't need to see him. I like him in his hat. It helps when they actually use him for comedy as the like the straight man to Jericho mutton about. And we do get yeah. a bit more of that on this show. Um, but it's always good if you're at backstage near a construction area to have a hat hard on. Yep, yeah, I think you said hat hard on there. Oh, sorry. I meant a hat hard on. Oh, I've said it again. <laughs> but while they're walking around backstage, they bully Avalon and Bates. That's the rare occasion where bullying is absolutely fine. Um, yeah, there's a great spot where Jericho thinks Marco Stunt is someone's child. And <laughs> yes, he's just walking that's... around. Why? Why are you letting that, your child walk around with no top on? That was on? Charlie. That was my mate Charlie backstage. A very rare on-screen appearance for him. We've mentioned him before that he's in a lot of Ethan Page's toy hunts. I love Charlie. I'd like to see him on the screen more. He's not an on-air talent. He's, he just works backstage for a company, but he's one of the funniest people in the world. So anytime I see Charlie pop up, I'm always, I always pop for that. Marco Stunt's dad. So, yeah. <laughs> They could honestly, if they did this for one ad break every week, just Jericho mm. spitballing, walking around backstage, pissing people off, I'd be fine with that. Yeah. Uh, we get a rare flashback uh, where they realise people might not watch the show every week. Uh, mm. Let's show Jericho getting pinned by Scorpius Guy last week and having a little tantrum. So the next segment has some context. Well done, yeah. AW. You, I like no, it. It's good. Yeah, we like that. So Jericho comes out reveals he was actually fined for last week's outburst. I like that, mm-hmm. to show that yep. there are rules in place. You can't get away with right. anything. Hagar has to say sorry on behalf of Jericho if Jericho just cannot bring himself <laughs> to say the words out loud. And they do. They keep going back to that. Every time Jericho has to say sorry, he just passes the mic to Hagar. Hagar does break. Well, that's the thing. Isn't it a bit cruel, though, to get the one word to get the guy with the prominent lisp to say is sorry? A bit rough. <laughs> Yeah, but amusing. I uh, it was it was weird seeing Hagar break though because he's usually so yeah, good at yeah, games, still with the yeah. boring. Yes, and he is he, he is a little bit giggly there, which I'm not surprised because mm-hmm. they are having a lot of fun. Yeah, obviously I'm a bit of a Jericho Mark. Uh, I really enjoyed this segment. I think he does mm-hmm. bring good legitimate star power to the show. I oh, still yeah. think that now, three years on, I yeah. have no problem with this. Uh, it runs on a little bit long, and Jericho is announcing that next week it's going to be a celebration of himself and his achievements. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully, just when it's at the point of running too long, SCU interrupt, Jezza. Yeah. So, uh, everyone's favourite. Yeah, it's it's great, this bit. Um, they just play Jericho so well. Jericho's so, so full of his own importance that he can't see he's being played. We can all see it. The whole crowd can all see it. But yeah, um, it was it was beautifully done, and again, just a, a solid bit of mic work from Scorpio Sky, just proving again how good he is. Yeah, it's excellent. I mean, we got to love four four cold Scorpio, as I like to call him. <laughs> Talked about 
how all the DMs he's had, people from high school getting in touch with him to tell him how great his win was against Jericho last week. But the, the bit you're talking about where he uses reverse psychology to not only yeah. get a match against Jericho at next week's show, mm-hmm. he uses reverse psychology to make it a title match by yeah. saying, I don't want a title match. I don't think I deserve it. <laughs> and Jericho <laughs> just jumps on that. Like, oh, what? You don't think you can hang with me at main event level? Well, I'm going to make it a title match then. Yeah. Really nicely done. They didn't overplay it. Um, no, no. The only problem is next week, it's Jericho versus Scorpio Sky. Mm-hmm. And Scorpio Sky is on this great high right now. He's he's really you know he's got a great future ahead of himself. Mm-hmm. Having a title match that's a really good way to kill a push. Yeah, because I'm is. presuming he doesn't beat Jericho next week. Well, no, he, let's not get yeah, ahead that, of ourselves. <laughs> that's it. Um, yeah, what it is worth watching. Yeah, obviously we will. But yeah, it's not as cut and dry as the you know the up and comer losing and. Losing his momentum, but yeah, we'll we'll get to that next week. But from what I remember, it's it's very entertaining, very good stuff. If you want to find out if Scorpio Sky won the AEW World Championship belt in 2019, <laughs> you have to tune in next week, or you can use any search engine right now. It's it's better for you to tune in next week. Yeah, please please tune in. Do that. Yeah, save but, your. Uh, there's no one out there going. Oh God, I can't wait a week. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so well, we've got something to look forward to next week, but just to get a bit of action on the show, you have to have a beat down here. All the Inner Circle come out, and they start mm. beating up on poor old SCU. They do. And just just when things look darkest for SCU, they get saved by two of the biggest heroes in AEW history. That's right. It's Michael Nakazawa and Brandon Cutler. <laughs> Over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you've got backup like that, what more do you need? Basically, main event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. effect to Scorpio. So once again, we get that little exclamation point from Jezza. This is my finishing move, and it can come from anywhere, anytime, and shut it down. Marco Stunt then does a run in, and mm-hmm. it ends as quickly as you imagine it would. Do you know what? I almost think it would have been funnier if Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus hadn't come out behind him. Right. If, if that had been it, if the big just save Marco. had just been Marco stuck and then <laughs> shut down. Yeah, that would have been good. I would have found <laughs> that funny. But we get we get that little stare down between Luchasaurus and Hagar. You know, kick pop from the crowd for that. That is something they would probably like to see right up until the moment the match actually happens. Yeah, and then you'd be like, oh God. One of those Royal Rumble moments, isn't it, where you get the two big lads face off. You're like, oh, this will be good. Oh no, they're, they're big lads, which generally means they're rubbish. Um, yeah. Thankfully, Luchasaurus isn't rubbish, but yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's like you say, definitely more. The idea of it's better than what you would probably get from it. Perfect, perfect analogy there. Royal Rumble moment, not WrestleMania match. <laughs> yeah, it is something we need to discuss a bit more. Santana's cum sock. <laughs> is that what it's full of? Well, <laughs> what it looks like. Mm, Why, yeah. out of all the many weapons in the world, use a cum sock? There's, there's always been this thing in wrestling, right? You want a weapon that looks great but doesn't hurt. Yeah. What you don't want is a, a weapon that really hurts and looks shit. It's funny you say that because when I was watching it, I was, I was thinking about, I wonder what they've put in it to, to make it like have that sort of size and bit of oomph to it. But like when he's waffling someone with it, that it doesn't hurt. And I, I couldn't work out. I, I guess it's just some sort of like 
foam ball or something. Or or just a load of cum, I guess. I reckon it is actually um, baseballs. And if people complain, <laughs> they just hit them harder and then jump <laughs> off the fork. Which... Could, could be that. At least it's not a bit of steel pipe wrapped in foam. Well, let's break everyone for the next match. It's the fourth match of night. It's a men's singles match. Like I say, time for a piss break, but you won't have time for a shit. Yeah, so good, just quick piss. I mean, you can't really piss. call this a match, can you? It's what was the point? What what did this achieve? After twenty seven seconds, this match. Well, talk us through it. So, so you got Luchasaurus in the ring. Peter Avalon, the librarian, comes out with his dinosaur books. A bit of foreshadowing of that earlier that he was scouting dinosaurs. That was quite good. But yeah, it gets in the ring and he gets demolished by Luchasaurus. And funnily enough, Luchasaurus wins. Yeah. I mean, is there ever a rematch where Peter Avalon's got a tar pit and he puts it between the entranceway <laughs> and the ring? I and Luchasaurus so, just but, you know. runs out, falls in it, sinks down. Yeah. And then eight million years pass. <laughs> and Peter Avalon uses Luchasaurus for petrol. Yeah. No, I don't believe so. But, you know, let's keep watching. Hopefully this, this feud, this blood feud will continue. That's long-form storytelling, isn't it? <laughs> right, let's go straight to the fifth match. We have a tag match. It's a tag match that's been promised since the start of the show. Mm. Who have we got? It's Private Party. Isaiah Casti and Mark Quen against Proud and Powerful Santana and Ortiz. All the peas. Yeah, a lot of peas in this one. Um, so a bit of a sad background to this one, obviously. Um, this mm. is the memorial match for their mutual friend, Matt Travis, 25-year-old indie wrestler. They convinced and trained, um, hit by a dump truck on his bike yeah, in Harlem. Yeah. Rough. Very rough. Yeah, it's no good, is it? No good. So I wasn't quite expecting this match to get that heated, because yeah. the themes, yeah. memorial match. You know, you just put on a show and remember your mate, but it does heat up a little, doesn't it? Yeah, kind of, but it, it doesn't have to take its time. Um, I mean, this this match is it never seems to get into second gear for me. It was just so sort of ploddy, and it, just when you think it's going to pick up, it doesn't. And now this is one of the first times we've seen some uh, Santana Ortiz. We haven't seen a lot of them. We've seen them against the Bucks. But yeah, they haven't had a lot of like tag matches. They've generally been around Jericho. And it's like they need a real de- another decent match just to establish them. Obviously, the Bucks match helped, but they needed just that little bit more. And yeah, they just they never seem to get going. And Private Party aren't going to be a team that pushes them to get going because they're still so young into their careers and aren't quite at the point where they're going to be leading matches. So yeah, I was a bit like, come on, guys, let's get this into next gear and it never quite got there for me. So let's have a look at some of the bigger moments in the match. Uh, one of my favourite parts was the long stalling suplex. Oh, that was good. Yeah. Uh, how long was that stalling suplex? Well, let's just say it went through three ags back and forth. Mm. So Santana handed off to Ortiz, to Santana, to Ortiz. Yeah, not something you, you see all that often or if at all. Um, but yeah, very cool looking spot. Um I think it was Mark Quinn that was in the suplex. So, yeah, he was obviously had a lot of blood rushing to his head at that point. Not a fun move to take for that long, but uh, always no. quite impressive to see. And it they did manage to make that quite amusing. And that's that's the kind of level of spot I was expecting in this match. Mm-hmm. It's it's a bit jokey. It's friendly. Yeah. Um, it gets the crowd alive and into it. But then um, 
just as the match starts to get going, and I think you're absolutely right, it does struggle in first gear. It mm. just looks like it's going to get going, and the crowd is starting to get into it. And then there's a pinfall attempt where the referee just stops. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not clear whether um, Santana and Ortiz pulled him off, or if... Oh, I, don't, I missed that bit. Pulled him off into the cum sock, <laughs> or if... Um, or if he stopped because he realised it wasn't the legal man in the ring, and it was right. it was really weird because at that point all the crowd momentum just left. Yeah, yeah, that one spot just the rest of it was was done. So the match just breaks down from there on. Santana goes for his cum sock. <laughs> Nick Jackson comes out and steals it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know we had this big fight off last week, but. I don't know why Nick Jackson's going for the cum sock. But there you go. No, no, maybe it was his sock. And proud and powerful nicked it and did what they did, filled it for him. And he's like, oh, I'm not happy about that. Yeah. So they go home, private party win with Gin and Juice. I guess mm-hmm. they must have been closer friends with Matt Travis and some Hunter and Ortiz <laughs> as they got the rub there. Yeah. Stanley Guevara comes out, totally ignores the crowd and the cameras and just carries on blogging while he's beating people down. Yeah. Um, he's, he goes straight after Nick Jackson. Then Dustin Rhodes comes out. He's obviously not been seen since his arm was broken twice. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> he attacks Santana and Ortiz, the people responsible for instigating the arm breaking. Mm-hmm. It just, yeah, it just breaks down an awful lot and there's not really an end to it. Like, obviously, yes, there was the gin and juice and there was the one, two, three. And the match was over, but then it just seems afterbirth, after afterbirth. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it was cool to see Dustin back. One thing with Dustin Rose, right, in AW is I don't really get the face paint thing. Obviously, yeah, he was gold, Dustin. He wore face paint as that, but I don't know. He's, he's calling himself the natural Dustin Rhodes, which would indicate that he doesn't need anything extra. He's a naturally gifted wrestler, and I've I've never really liked that he wears face paint as the natural. It doesn't seem right to me. I just figured everyone in AEW was contractually obligated to at some point wear face paint. True, yeah, maybe. Yeah, they even do it on their graphics sometimes, don't they? There's a lot of shows yeah. where everyone in the graphic has got hogs or tribal tattoos mm. or Game of Thrones. That's always weird as well when they still do Winter is Coming Now. It's like yeah, Game of Thrones yeah. has been off there for like four years, dudes. And what, like, Let it go. If you weren't aware of Game of Thrones or where that was from, you'd be like, oh, that's weird. I know winter's coming. It's cold. Why are you telling me on my wrestling show? Just maybe Game of Thrones had more viewers than AEW. <laughs> maybe. Maybe a couple more. So we've still got the main event to go. It is a one-on-one singles men's match. Who have we got? It's John Moxley against Darby Allen. We had uh, Mox declare an open challenge to anyone on the roster last week and Darby uh, answered it. So yeah, real big match. Um, an exciting match for a lot of people, Mox versus Darby. Um, again, it's one of those matches that you could say is on a pay-per-view and you go, yeah, alright, yeah, I'll pay to watch that. But yeah, get it on free TV. So coming home in the body bag match starts with Darby Allen dragging the body bag behind him. Here's a question for you. Have they ever had a body bag match where the winner wins by seeing someone in the body? But they must have done that. Taker must have done it, mustn't he? Because he used body bags for a while. This is the thing, like, obviously you've got the coffin drop with Darby Allen, and he has a, had a coffin match mm. in recent history where famously Brody King? 
Is that his name? Yeah, he's had one against Brody King, he had one against Ethan Page. And there was that great spot where Brody King was being hung from the ropes in a guillotine mm. spot, echoing what he'd done to Darby a few weeks before. And he falls off, collapses into the coffin, and the lid shuts on him. And it's just a perfect end to a match. Yes. Where it's like the coffin lid probably wasn't supposed to close as he fell in it, but it's so good that it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's really, really strong. Um, but if you look back from this point in 2019, you think, well, that why wasn't that a body bag match? Because that's sort of more Darby's gimmick. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You think they'd do it, and I always, I, I, I always get confused when he drags the body bag into the match. Like, okay, use it as an entrance, come out in it, have a skateboard. It's your first kind of main event. Type, oh, not a title shot because Mox hasn't got anything. This is one of the rare occasions where Moxley isn't. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, bringing it into the ring just seems really curious to me. But there you go. Hmm. Yeah, I see it. What do you think the box's music at this point? Uh, obviously, this is before he got that wild thing. Yeah, um, I didn't mind it. I thought it was better than his Dean Ambrose music, which was like looped really quickly. You got a, a, like 15, 20 seconds of music and then it just started again. It was such a lazy, boring theme for someone who was like one of their top stars. So it was definitely better than that. His New Japan music he was using at the same sort of time was better. Again, it was a similar sort of thing. It was instrumental and had that sort of Motley Crue style vibe to it, but it was better. Um, but yeah, it, it it still wasn't befitting a guy, his sort of, of star calibre, I think. Um, so yeah, having the, the X version of Wild Thing now is much better suited to him. Yeah, I mean, I think on paper, I actually prefer this music for Mox. Right, But okay. it doesn't work coming out through the crowd. Wild Thing's yeah. so much better for that. If yeah, he yeah. was just doing the Stone Cold Badass down the ramp, no nonsense, I think this mm-hmm. music would really suit him. Um, yeah. And he could do that. But of course, it's, whole, it's baked into his gimmick that the reason why he comes out through the crowd is he's never going to get jumped from behind. Mm-hmm coming down to the entrance way, as so many wrestlers do these days. Yeah. So you don't know where he's going to come from. You can't plan in advance. You can definitely can't jump him as he comes into the ring. So right at the start of this match, before the bell even rings, mm-hmm. Darby jumps Moxley from the front. Yeah, he does. He does one of those ridiculously high-speed topes, which, you know, the fact that he's nailed that as much as he has and hasn't caught himself terrible injury... Um, is amazing, really. But yeah, it, it's always incredible to see. Like I used to do topes in my wrestling career, and I would never dream of going as quick as that because, you know, one you, you go too quick, you've got you can get caught up in the ropes or not go through the ropes and end up getting caught up. So yeah, incredible to see every time he does that. Yeah, I wouldn't go at that speed, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't think that's something we have to worry about anymore. Yeah, I think we're all right. Yeah. Uh, good control from Mox early in this match. Obviously, again, it's not a traditional wrestling match start. There's not going to be a lot of technical holds and stuff. But Moxley gets his hand and controls Darby, basically keeps him grounded, can give him clotheslines whenever he wants. And Mox, uh, Mox controls it by not letting Darby get away to do his mm-hmm. flippy, jumpy stuff. Really yes. nice start to the match, I thought. That was a sensible way of controlling him. Because Darby Allen, he's not really the kind of wrestler who can hurt you from below. No, definitely not. Yeah. Nowadays, in 2022, he has got a bit more in his repertoire, and he probably would, but yes. not against Mox. Yeah. Against Mox, no. just sit there and eat it, get bludgeoned a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mox is the sort of guy that, you know, 
you can hit him with everything you've got to hit him with. He it will take something to put him down. And again, I, I know I've said it on the show before, but Moxie just every time you see him on AEW TV, he just feels head and shoulders above so many other people on the roster. He's just so he he's so tuned in to what he is and what he wants to be, and he he knows it, and he's he's just got that. And I think it's because he believes it as well. That that always helps when you you've got your, your wrestling gimmick. If you don't believe in what you're doing, it's not going to work. And just Mox believes in what he's doing. He's just this rough and tough brawler who can wrestle if he needs to. But you know, he'll he'll do what brought him to the dance. He'll just fight you. And yeah, I I love Mox. I, I it was AW that made me realise how much I do love John Moxley. I was always a fan of the Shield and I enjoyed what he did in WWE as Dean Ambrose, but yeah, I, I my my fandom of John Moxley has just grown so much from AW and his New Japan stuff he's done. I, I'm such a big fan of him. The, the point where I really started to like Mox was when Punk came back from his first injury mm-hmm. and his first three-day reign as champion. And Mox, of course, is the interim champion, and they have the the kind of the unification match for all yeah. intents and purposes. And Mox won, and I was really pleased he won because yeah. he he put so much work in. He'd been a really good fighting champion. Just having interim champ, yeah, 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 just was a bit poxy. So poxy Moxie, we don't want that. Poxy John Moxley. <laughs> we don't want that. So that that was when the point I was like, oh, well, I'm actually like this guy. And then obviously when. Um, Punk got suspended 43 minutes into his title reign, mm-hmm. his second title reign, <laughs> and Mox won the tournament. <laughs> yeah. CM Punk's championship history in AEW is just not worth talking about, is it? Three-day injury, no, no. 43 minutes suspension. It's amazing stuff. So Moxley, obviously, <laughs> nowadays, he's the three-time champion. We're getting ahead of ourselves a bit. Mm-hmm. You're, you're absolutely right. He is a main event player. It makes it a real... Not a real looking match because that's such a misnomer of wrestling, but it's a believable main event yeah. without having anything on the line. Yep. Um, and I kind of feel he really makes Darby Allen here. Yeah, he does. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Mox sees a bit of himself in Darby, not sort of the, the killing yourself, although Mox has done killed himself in different ways in wrestling matches. But yeah, I, I think he sees himself early in his career in Darby. Um, and I think that sort of helps that, you know, Mox knows what Darby's about. They're both very much willing to go out there and do what they need to do to put on a good show for the fans. And yeah, it's it's a real, real great match, a real good pair in these two. And it's it's something I'm surprised we haven't seen a lot more of over the years. But um, I'm sure there's going to be more to come between these two. Yeah, I'm going to say something controversial now. I don't think Darby Allen needs Sting. I've enjoyed him more on this, like the kind of the first year of AEW than the last year of AEW that I've watched since CM Punk came back and called out Darby Allen and said he wanted his first match to be with him. I mean, that's that's what put Darby Allen on the map for me. Um, and I've enjoyed him from the start. Yeah, I think Darby's done more for Sting than Sting's done for Darby, to be honest. Um, because, yes, yeah, Sting was, for all intents and purposes, retired. He did announce his retirement uh, when he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame a few years ago. He sort of said, that's me done. Um but yeah, he, he came to AW, and I don't think anyone really expected him to wrestle. Um, if they did, it was going to be cinematic style stuff or very smoke and mirrors. But I think Sting being around Derby and seeing what Derby can do has just got to Sting, and he's just become this crazy old man who'll jump off things and 
Like you don't need to be doing this Sting, but he does it. Yeah, and I, I think, like I say, Darby's been a, a better influence on Sting than maybe the other way around. I mean, maybe in a way it's a good thing because it keeps Darby in a holding pattern. It stops him getting mm-hmm. stale. It, one of the things that could really kill Darby is if you rushed him and kind of made him your champion the first two years, then yeah. then where'd you go with the kid? Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe it is all for the better, but this this is the stuff that I've really started to enjoy yeah. Darby Allen and really click with his gimmick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see now, having seen all this, why Punk called him out and said, yeah, come on, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, match. yeah. yeah definitely. A couple of bits to look out for in the match. Um, I always like to point out a few bits where things break down just a little bit. This isn't a criticism of people. Mox going over the rope backwards uh, from a mm-hmm. clothesline from Darby Allen. Either Darby doesn't quite have enough weight and impact to take him over, or, or Mox doesn't quite get enough of a pop and enough height over the top rope. Going over the ropes backwards is bad enough, but believe it or not, when you get slung back in a ring like that, and you've kind of you haven't completed the move clean, you haven't gone over backwards, you haven't stayed in the ring, and you just kind of get the whiplash on the ropes, yeah, with your back at full torque. That's not nice. That's that's the, one of those things that it doesn't look like much, but that could really mess you up. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I quite enjoyed the dislocated finger spot where Mox had yeah. his hand. Uh, they're climbing the ropes together. Moxley has his hand on the support strut between the top rope and the ring post, and Darby just stands on his hand. Yeah, that was good. Uh, and then after after they've done the spot, Mox is like trying to get feeling back into his fingers, and he gets the referee to pull his finger. Not yeah, in yeah. British sense of humour comedy part. <laughs> right? uh, yeah. Although that could have been amazing if he just you know <laughs> done a massive loud fart there and then gurned at the crowd. <laughs> But it, yeah, they they play the story where the referee pops his finger back into socket, and I don't. I mean, it is difficult. That's one of those kind of small moves that, like, you crowds respond to big moves. Yes, crowds don't necessarily respond to small dealing drugs moves, as we used to call them. Yeah, yeah. Of course, the box really suplexed uh, that on Darby looks especially impactful because mm-hmm. it has a lot of height and width when he comes down. Yeah, He'll definitely. hate it. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm sure it's perfectly safe, but it just looks like... Ugh. Yeah, yeah. Not fun. Towards the end of the match, we get towards the finish, and we have an excellent coffin drop into a sleeper. Oh, it was so good. Yeah, picture perfect, that was. Could have been the finish. Easily yeah. could have been the finish. Darby yeah. turns it into a pin, which is very nice. I think if we saw that move now, um, with the impact that we've had with the Blackpool Combat Club, I think mm-hmm. we would have had the sleeper, and then there'd be elbows in it, and then yeah. maybe the sleeper reapplied, and that would be it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But, yeah, really nice little sequence. Instead, they keep fighting for a bit. Up to the top ropes they go. A really high top rope paradigm shift. Yeah. But the win, Moxley goes yeah. over, as you would imagine, but they mm-hmm. both go over. They both look great in this one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Mox having to not just do a normal paradigm shift, having to do one over off the top to put Derby down, just sells Derby so well it's like this is what it takes to put this kid down I've, I've got to basically kill him to get three seconds on him so yeah really really nice finish yeah Darby can be a little bit guilty of the no sell sometimes mm-hmm. he's yeah. taken a few really big moves and just got straight back up and I, I get that's ingrained into his gimmick mm-hmm. but you, you have to know when to draw the line on that um, paradise shift from the top rope that, that'll do it that'll get the job done yep definitely good stuff so one of the things let's talk about the show overall Dynamite Week 9 I think my favourite thing about this show was we had established the main event last week coming into it. We knew what to expect. Uh-huh. 
We knew there was going to be a battle royale. Yep. Next week, going into week nine, we already know there's going to be MJF versus Paige. Yep. They established Pack versus Kenny in a little vignette that we didn't oh, discuss. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's only very short, but yes. that's set up for next week. And we also have Jericho versus Scorpio Sky for the world title set up for next week. Yeah, so, yeah, very big show. Stacked show for next week. It's, it's funny, like, last week we mentioned that we had probably more fun talking about Dynamite than we did watching it. And again, this was another one. When I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is... This isn't a great show. But yeah, since sort of talking about it and looking back at it, it's like, well, actually, no, it was it was decent. It, it kept the wheels moving. There were a couple of sort of misfires. The Luchasaurus Avalon match was completely pointless, didn't need to be there, didn't help any, anything. But yeah, everything else kind of pushed things forward. And it, yeah, in hindsight, it, it wasn't a bad show. Um, not all of them can be sort of, you know, every match five star. But yeah, it was another solid show. And I just think, one of the major problems with AEW at this point is they are still such a young company. They do have this very small roster at this point, which is odd to say now, because one of the big complaints about AEW now is their roster's too big. But yeah, <laughs> so these early days, you're seeing a lot of the same people against each other. There's no real diversity to the people you're seeing. Like, you know who's going to be on your shows. There's been no real big new debuts or anything like that at this point. So I remember at the time going, oh, this is getting a bit stagnant. We're not really seeing anything new or exciting, um, but it comes. And then you know, obviously we end up where we are now, where you've got, you know, way too many people, arguably. But yeah, we do we do get there. A few people start trickling in soon um, and it does freshen the shows up a bit. And it's just so nice knowing that next week when we sit down to record this podcast, straight away there's three very high caliber main event level matches. Yeah. Definitely. Straight away, off the top. So that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, good work here. They actually, you know, they've made me want to watch next week's episode, which yeah, it's, it's always good when they actually manage to do that, because, of course, we're also watching stuff as it comes out this week as well. Mm-hmm. It's a minimum of five hours a week just of AEW. <laughs> and we're, yeah, we're not hating it. it, so that's good. Yeah, um, true. What was the best match of the night for you? Um, It's between the, the opener and the the last match. I'm going to go with Phoenix versus Nick Jackson, I think, just because it was something a bit different with um, some of those guys. We, it wasn't a regular tag match between the Bucks and the Lucha Bros. Um, so, a, yeah, a rare Nick Jackson singles match. I'm going to go with that one. That makes it nice and easy for me. My favourite match of the night by some was Moxley Derby. Um, mm-hmm. I was really impressed with a main event feeling match that didn't require a belt or a stipulation. Yeah, I don't know if that's something that they'd feel brave enough to do now. Yeah, true. Not, not that yeah. they'd have to, because everyone's got a belt nowadays. But... <laughs> true, yeah. Uh, so, MVP of the evening? Uh, I'm going Billy Gunn, just because he got one of the, the biggest reactions of the night. He he worked well. He just It was a it was an important part of that battle, really. He kept everything moving in that and sort of knew when to do his stuff to break things up, to bring the crowd down a bit, bring them up. See, I'm going with Billy Gunn. Nice, nice. See, I wrote down Derby, but really, it's it's Moxley for getting that out of Derby, I think, and putting yeah. Derby yeah. up. Like Derby is now a kind of upper mm-hmm. upper mid card. Yes, uh, and that's fantastic because when you think like he was against Jimmy Hammock, <laughs> like yeah. six eight weeks ago, it, it's quite a rise he's had at this point. Yeah. But that is largely due to the work that people like Moxley have put in with him. So, yeah, I'm giving the credit to Mox on this one. And it is nice to see a wrestling company where someone does kind of maybe 
get over more than you expected them to and rather than going well that wasn't our plan so we're not going to go with it they go actually he's, he's got over organically he's, he's maybe a bit higher up than we expect him to be at this point let's let's continue with that and give the guy some high profile matches and see how he he works out who sinks or swims but give him a chance so yeah it's, it's good to see a company do that definitely definitely you can't just follow your plans you have to listen mm-hmm. to the crowd that's it and give us more FTR on Wednesdays, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was Dynamite episode 8. Did you got that wrong? 8, yeah. Um, 8, yeah. Do your dark wrap-up. So, dark, yeah, taped at the same time. So, in the same arena in front of the same fans. Um, normally, we only get three matches on dark. This one, you've got four, kind of. Um, so, you've got Trent versus Pentagon Jr. to open up. Uh Good little match, that. Two very good wrestlers. Two wrestlers I like a lot. So, yeah, definitely worth checking that one out. Uh, we have the ladies. Shana defeated Big Swole. Um, that was followed by a 58-second match. So, yeah, while it is four matches on this show, it, it's really 3.1. Uh, awesome Kong with Brandy Rose. Thankfully, we didn't get any of that nonsense on Dynamite. Um, awesome Kong defeated Lever Bates, one half of the librarians with Peter Avalon. Basically main event. Well, yeah, but there is another match, if you can believe it, that bigger than that. It's a title match as well. The AAA Mega title, uh, which was held by Kenny Omega at the time. Uh, he defeated Jack Evans in a sixteen, just under 16-minute match. Uh, again, worth checking that one out. Um, Kenny Omega as a champion is always worth watching. Uh, and he and Jack Evans have a good little match, yeah? Yeah, they've kind of kept it a bit of a secret on the show that like Kenny's carrying a belt for another company. Mm. That yeah, doesn't yeah. come up in quite the way it does these days. No. But yeah, definitely awesome Kong versus Lee Bates. That's definitely basically a main event. Yeah, get on that. <laughs> but it won't take you long at least, so there is that. <laughs> That's true. So that was finally Dynamite Week 8. If you want to follow us on social media, where can they find you, Pete? They can find me on Twitter at Pitois. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Pitois80. That's all sort of comic-y stuff and things I buy that I'm trying to make myself feel better about buying. So I put it on social media to people to go, yes, you definitely should have bought that. Um, I've also got some of my art. There's a few wrestling portraits on Pitois on Instagram. And you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Double View Wrestling Podcast. Uh, follow us on there. Share it with all your friends and family. It's a good way to help us get a good name of the podcast out there. And you can follow me on Twitter at DiabraveSid. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at AEW. So give us a follow, like, subscribe, upvote, basically everything Pete said to do. Do that, and that will help us. Thanks, everyone. We'll be back in a week's time with Dynamite Episode 9. Quite a stacked card. Exciting times.